Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Friday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us. We have giveaways, both hours of the show today. Final chances for you to win. Uh, today we're giving away pairs of tickets to Sunday's Comets exhibition game at the Coliseum. The Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders puck drop at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So we'll give you uh, code words this hour and next hour. So just be sure to be listening for your chance to win on that. Also on the show today... Jack Leonard, full participant in practice, could return Sunday. Is When are we going to see Shaq Leonard do something on the field again? We'll, we'll, we've talked about his reduced snap counts this season. Obviously, he was out last week with a groin injury. We'll get to that. Plus, uh, three reasons why the Irish beat USC Saturday night. Saturday night. We'll get to that later this hour. Spoiler makers again. Taking a look at uh, what Purdue needs to do to pull off the upset. In hour number two, we'll talk with the voice of the Comets, Shane Alberani, on building a roster, previewing the exhibition games, and and obviously a lot of development so far this week. Just one week of camp before the season starts. We'll talk with him about all of that and more. Plus, a report that Pat McAfee par- pays Aaron Rodgers millions for interviews. Fair or foul? It's that around 8.20. And Brett Rump will join us around 8.30 as well. Preview week nine of area high school football. The 1380 The Fan Game of the Week lures at Homestead. Plus, sectional pairings are out. We'll do a quick preview of those as well. And don't worry, another bear story today. Ooh, three straight days. Um, A bear, well, stole some bears. Huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll explain mm. what happened there. As we wrap it up on a Friday at about eight fifty, I so thought bears the, stealing bears. I thought the end of of show story was going to be the biggest story for me yesterday. Yeah, that cops. Yes, is filming in Fort Wayne. Yes, with cops the PD is is back. Uh, Which we both like. I thought it went away. It did, and then it came back. And I love cops. Uh, I love live P, live PD back in the day when that was on, before that got canceled. But uh. I don't think in the 35-year history of cops that they've ever been in Fort Wayne. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's been a thing. But I can't wait. Hopefully some of the uh, debauchery that we see in Fort Wayne is caught on film in terms of the uh, the, the amusing debauchery. Yeah, we don't want... <laughs> we don't want anything too crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm here for it. I can't wait. Uh, also, happy Friday the 13th. Yes. Spooky season. Spooky season, which I love. You're not so keen on it. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big Halloween guy. October, though, October is a nice month. You have tons of football. You have the baseball playoffs. You have weather that is actually fall-like, which, granted, most of the time that means 50s and rainy, but on the like few nice days, yeah, on the few nice days, like last Sunday, for example, it, it hits really well. Um, it's, it's a good month. I know a lot of people would put it up there with one of their favorite months of the year. I'm not willing to say that, but it is a good month. I like Halloween. I've always liked Halloween. It's it's becoming bigger and bigger. I think more people decorate for Halloween than yeah. I saw like a a clown inflatable the other day, and I'm like, that's too much. Any inflatable to me, yes, I too much. I, I agree, 
But have you seen the new, like the 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 big Jack Skele- Skellington, uh, like t- ten foot <laughs> things in people's yards? That's pretty cool. Or just the regular skeletons. Or you can get the Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas in your yard. That's like uh, there's a house. Uh, so on one of the routes, we take the dog for a walk. Um, there is a house that has these like wooden cats. Like they're just wooden you know cut cats. out. Okay. And like silhouette type yes, things. Okay. Yes. And and it's black cats. And the dog she is <laughs> freaked that- out. Every time, like, she starts pulling and wanting to chase the cats, and it's like, these aren't real. <laughs> but I guess the last, like, like, the third time, she finally figured it out. And they realized when the cats weren't going yeah, anywhere, yeah. weren't trying to ra- yeah. run away they, from They would have run away a long time ago. <laughs> but no, I like I like Halloween. Uh, I dig the holiday season, too. And this is kind of maybe the unofficial kickoff for me that, hey, Christmas is getting close, but I love, I love Halloween. It's so, in, in the spirit of that, let's make our first comments uh, text-to-win phrase. Or a pair of exhibition tickets for Sunday's game, 4 o'clock at the Coliseum against Iowa. Friday the 13th. Okay. Just text Friday the 13th, and you'll be in the running for a pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Heartlanders on Sunday. Again, 46862 is that text line number. Again, 46862. Text Friday the 13th to that number. All right. Headlines. And pretty ho-hum game between the Chiefs and the Broncos. A lot of turnovers. It was an ugly game. A typical Thursday game. Thursday night game. Uh, you had Mahomes get picked. You had Russell Wilson get picked twice. Um, just not a lot of offense. Uh, if you were Denver, and Denver drops to 1-5. and five. Chiefs improved to 5-1. and one. No surprise. Uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend had a great game. Nine catches. <laughs> What's his name? I can't remember. I, I don't know. I just know him <laughs> as Taylor Swift's boyfriend now. So uh, nine catches, 124 yards uh, for him. Did not get a touchdown. Uh, I'd be curious. Has he scored a touchdown in a game that she has attended? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't think yeah, so. Uh, she was. She was at the Jets game, right? And she was at the. Okay, he had a touchdown in the Vikings game. All right, there you go. She was not at the Bears game, correct? But uh, I don't think so. Russell Wilson struggled last night. Yeah, yeah at, he was at one point in the third quarter, he had 37 yards passing. He finished with 95 yards passing. I mean, can we can we close the book on Russell Wilson's career? Is it time to kind yeah, of look I, at I him mean, and be like, it's done? Because last everybody year thought, we thought was an anomaly, right? Rookie head coach, guy in over his head, and Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach, not as an offensive mind, but it just didn't translate. But here's the the crazy part: Russell Wilson's season stats. It's not when you bad. look at him on paper, aren't bad. The problem is they're not winning. 12 touchdowns, 4 picks, 1,300 yards, completing nearly 66% of his passes. I mean, those aren't bad stats. The problem is he is not helping them win games. And neither is Sean Payton, for that matter, at this point. And uh, it was a bad night all around for Denver's offense. Couldn't slow down Kansas City as as uh, as pedestrian as the Chiefs looked last night. Patrick Mahomes still threw for 300 yards. Travis Kelsey, 124 yards receiving on nine receptions. Who? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> and so it was, it was just another ugly Thursday night game. And it was windy. Harrison Butker had no problems last night. No. Making field goals, 35 yards, 52 yards, 60 yards. Yeah, at the, the end 60 of the first yarder half. was incredible. Just insane. But uh, 
Chiefs go to five and one. Broncos still stink. Really nothing to see here last night at Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah. Meanwhile, in, in elsewhere in the NFL, in some other bits of news, uh, the Chiefs looking to move on from uh, Frank Clark. So we'll, we'll see what, what comes of that. But a, a pass rusher who is had a good career, but, but again, Chiefs looking to... Or excuse me, the Broncos. My bad. He was with the Chiefs. But the Broncos set to cut or trade Frank Clark. It hasn't worked out in, in, no, in Denver. And maybe a team takes a flyer on him. A guy that um, seems seemingly has been around for a long time. Still uh, just turned 30 years old. So maybe a team, uh, a contender takes a, a flyer on him. But uh, has been ineffective largely for the Broncos last and couple of years. Deshaun Watson out. For the Browns against the 49ers due to the shoulder injury. Basically, it sounds like some days it's okay, other days it flares up. Um, so he even had the the bye week to rest up. So uh it's gonna be tough. They will the Browns reportedly not starting Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh the rookie this time around, they'll go with veteran PJ Walker. Oh. That'll be fun. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that. Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, the Braves are done. I, Aww. I, yeah. The, the, the Braves eliminated. Nick Castellanos uh, hit two homers. Phillies advanced to the NLCS. Uh, just Here's the thing. The Phillies may have not had a good regular season. But they got hot at the right time. And it was the same thing last year in the postseason. And so, the, yeah. this is maybe something we need to think about more is not so much, oh, these favorites are losing, because this happens all the time. It's who's playing their best baseball at the right time, and clearly that's been the Phillies. Phillies, Arizona, the NLCS, Texas, Houston, and the ALCS. Does that excite people out there? Are you tuning into the MLB Championship Series with Arizona and Philly and Texas and Houston? I mean, if you live in the state of Texas, you probably are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> or the Southwest in general. South, Southwest with Texas and Arizona. And then, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, you got Philly in there. What's the interest level? Does the interest level raise with the fact that only one of the four teams that had a first round bye made the championship series in Houston? Does that raise your interest level? Does it lower your interest level? Let us know on the text line, 46862. I, I just... uh. I, I find it hard to be drawn in to these championship series. And maybe because it's football season and once football season starts, it's game over for baseball in my mind. But I'm wondering if I'm in the minority. Are, are people looking at these matchups and looking forward to watching them? Or is it meh, at this time of the year? I don't know. Uh, to me, it is a, a good interest level because of having Bryce Harper in it. I mean, he's a he's a star. So you have the star power, you have the Astros, which are controversial. So there, there are some storylines here that I think you can easily get behind. Does, but I don't think the star fire, or the star fire, the star power <laughs> drives ratings like it does in other sports. Put Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game, that's going to help. Obviously in the NBA it's driven by star power. Even in the NHL, you put Sidney Crosby and, and the top players in the NHL in the cup finals that can raise the profile. But does it raise the profile in baseball for a 
a, a superstar to play in the championship series? Is that really bringing, is Bryce Harper being in the NLCS bringing in a lot more viewers? I think it's bringing in somewhere. I don't think a lot. The, the biggest thing that's the issue for baseball is just the simple fact that Shohei Otani's never made the postseason, right? I, I feel like if that were to change, that could change baseball as far as TV ratings and interest in October. I think part of it could be the Midwest apathy to baseball right now because mm-hmm. the closest team currently in the in the in one of the championship series is what Philly, yeah, yeah. Philly. I mean, yeah, you don't have the Cubs, don't have the, the Reds, Brewers, you don't have the, the White Reds, Sox, you don't have the Indians or Cardinals. Guardians, you don't have Tigers. No, you don't have the yeah. There's just no no Midwest feel whatsoever to the playoffs. So maybe that's part of it too. Meanwhile, in the NHL, so Connor Bedard's debut uh, earlier this week, his NHL debut, uh, incredible rating. Uh, So the viewership for ESPN, uh, this was the second of three games on ESPN's triple header to open up the hockey season. Uh, Bedard's debut got 1.431 million viewers, third most watched sports program of the day behind both uh, American League Division Series games on Fox. That's not a surprise, but really... The, the note that makes this noteworthy is the most watched non-winter classic NHL game on cable ever. Hmm. And I get that that sounds like a lot of qualifiers, but it's really not. The winter was, classic draws. Yes. This is the most watched hockey game on cable that wasn't a winter classic game. And so the, ES, the, the initial game against the Penguins drew a lot, and then the day, night after against Boston drew a lot as well on TNT. We talk about the, the the stars bring out people watching, and Texter had a good point talking about baseball. When you have to wait a half hour to see the superstar come up to bat, it's not entertaining. So when you when you compare it to, to hockey, you know you're going to see Connor Bedard, Sidney Crosby on the ice every couple minutes with their shifts. You don't have to wait very long. Obviously, same thing with the NBA and the NFL, but baseball, it can take a while. It's faster. But it still could be a while till Bryce Harper comes up or Barry Bonds back in the day came up. How many times did did ESPN cut in? Oh yeah, all to Barry the time. Bonds at bats. That was like the only thing that mattered, right? Who cares about the rest of the game? We just want to see Barry Bonds bat, and um, that's what 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 baseball fights up against, particularly this time of the year. Meanwhile, the comments making some more roster moves. Goaltender Tyler Parks assigned by the Condors. Uh, meanwhile. The K's release goaltender Parker Rutherford, who was the Fort Wayne native. We'll have to see if uh, what happens uh, at the at the goalie position because there weren't very many goalies in camp to begin with. I think they were down to three, so now maybe they're down to two or even one. So we'll talk to Shane Alberani to start the second hour about where the K's are with this roster heading into the exhibition games. 46862, your text line number. Again, you can text Friday the 13th to 46862 and be in the running for a pair of tickets. See the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday, puck drop 4 o'clock at the Coliseum. Uh, Text to win Friday the 13th is your code words to 46862. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, someone else texting in. There's a reason why baseball is called a national pastime. (laughs) Past being yes, the keyword word there. Uh, meanwhile, the Colts getting ready for Saturday's game. Excuse me, Saturday Sunday's game at Jacksonville. And Shaq Leonard, perhaps he could return to the lineup. Uh, returning from a groin injury, he didn't play in Week Five against the Titans. 
Uh, he practiced in full, so there's a, a chance he returns Sunday. But we've talked about this before. His snap count has decreased weekly, uh, weeks one through four. Didn't play in week five with going from, what, 85% down to about 49. So it's time. And, and I get it. He's coming back from an injury. The Colts said they're targeting November for a return to full strength for him. But for a guy making nearly $16 million just this season who played in only three games last year, the Colts really need to see what he can do if he's going to to be an option or if this is Zaire Franklin's defense, which I already feel like it is nah, at it this is. point. I mean, Shaq Leonard's time has is, is come and gone at this point. He can be a role player for the Colts, but for how much he's being paid, you expect more. I mean, unfortunately... This is a dude whose career has been derailed by injuries. I mean, you've seen it so many times before in different sports. But this is a dude that uh, in the in 2021, 2020, was one of the best at his position in the league. But struggled last year to stay healthy. And this just the same thing this year. And even when he's on the field, hasn't really made an impact. So he's a depth guy at this point. He's a decent player. He's not going to be an electrifying player like he was pre-injury. And when he came out of South Carolina State in the draft in, what, 2018? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Shaq Leonard's just trying to have some semblance of an NFL career after his injury. He's no longer the elite player he once was. So the Colts perfect on the road this season. The Jags coming off back-to-back London games. Is there an opportunity there because of that element? When you, you look at, like, normally I, I feel like we overblow, you know, game times and rest and things like that, but a five-hour time difference is a five-hour time difference, and that's a lot to come back from after you know being away from Jacksonville for two weeks. Yeah, it's definitely real. That's for sure. They got back in Jacksonville 2 a.m. on Monday. Um, Coach Peterson gave Jacksonville Monday and Tuesday off, had a, a short weightlifting session on Tuesday, and so... I think it's been enough time. I really do. I mean, these are elite athletes, okay? We're not talking about our, us civilians trying to, <laughs> to to get back on schedule after going to Europe or something. I really think particularly playing at home as well is a big, big deal. But look at this. So Jacksonville's played in London or overseas nine times prior to this season. In their first game after playing in London, they are three and six. But they had a bye before seven of those games. So they're one and one when they play the next week. The only victory coming over the Raiders in Jacksonville last year. The Jaguars trade trailed 17 to nothing in that game before coming back and winning. So if there's an opportunity for the Colts, you would think it's early in this game to build a lead, get out to a fast start, and maybe put Jacksonville on its heels a little bit. And I think that's it's it's cliche to say, oh, you got to get off to a fast start. You could say that every game, but I think it's of paramount importance here to try to catch Jacksonville off guard a little bit, maybe a little sluggish to come out after back to back weeks in London and see if you can build a lead and hold on to it. But if the Colts don't get off to a quick start, I think that's going to be disastrous. Jacksonville already beat the Colts in week one. Both teams tied atop the AFC South at the moment. So that will be. Um, you know, obviously playing for the division lead. Now, I'm not putting too much stock in, in playoffs or anything like that. Plus, the Colts have lost seven straight games 
in Jacksonville, eight straight against the Jags as the visitors. Again, uh, 2016 played in London, so the Colts were the the road team for that matchup. But hey, they ended a couple losing streaks last week. Yeah, I know. That, that's why I'm I'm curious if they can do that because eventually these things flip, and that many games in the NFL that's a long time to be on a eight game losing streak as the road team against Jacksonville. That's a long time. I think yeah, and I, I think you two look at 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 the injury. So Zay Jones probably not going to play the receiver. Walker Little. The left guard is probably out as well. Um, but you get uh, Dwayne Smoot back, the defensive end. He'll probably play the first game of the season that he's been in. Uh, he had an Achilles injury last December that's kept him out. Uh, Devon Hamilton as well returned to practice, the defensive tackle. So that could be a better defensive front for Jacksonville coming up on Sunday. But the big story, too, is Gardner Minshew returning to Jacksonville, right? Started yeah. 20 games for the Jaguars. What kind of performance does he put together? Does he have some added incentive to go out there and have a great game against his old team? So that could be a big factor as well for the Colts. The the thing with the Colts is they've kept us interested beyond just Anthony Richardson. And unfortunately, he's not going to be a, a factor in the lineup for several weeks. But really, to me, going into the season, it's... The storyline was Anthony Richardson not winning games, and the fact that they've been competing and competing for wins. Now, granted, some of that because Anthony Richardson's been hurt, and Minshew has stepped in and played played well. Limited mistakes, that being the key thing. I don't think that's what we would have expected at the start of the year. I mean, three and two through five games, beating Baltimore on the road, all that definitely unexpected. But remember, and, and I've said it, the key for Indianapolis, how they take the next step is consistency week in and week out. And you mentioned that Baltimore win. Then they come home to play the Rams in a winnable game and lose in overtime. Including being you know, MIA for the first half. Yes. And so how does Indianapolis follow up games with another good performance? You could say, yeah, they went down to Houston in week two, then they went on the road to Baltimore, consecutive good performances. But Houston, we know, is probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. Probably. Although I think they're better than people thought they would be yes. at this point. But you still caught C.J. Stroud in just his second start. But I think you look at now consistency. So now here's another opportunity for the Colts after a good home win to build on that win with another good performance and maybe steal a game on the road, but that's what's missing from these Indianapolis Colts. They're consistently inconsistent, both good and bad. They don't seem to play two consecutive bad games, but they also really don't tend to play two consecutive good games. So what kind of Colts team comes out on Sunday? Can it build off that home win at Tennessee and put another complete game together? Or is it a subpar performance and we're back where we started with the Colts is going, okay, you never really know what you're going to get from week to week. A couple of texts uh, rolling in on Shaq Leonard. Uh, first one saying, go back to being Darius Leonard. I don't think he's going to do that. No, but it it there just seems like once he switched to Shaq. Co- coincidence there. <laughs> a weird coincidence, yeah. Uh, someone else, uh, CK, Shaq's career has been a carbon of Bob Sanders. Yeah, great player, couldn't stay healthy. I Bob Sanders, though, still had more of an impact. Yes. Longer than... Shaq Leonard had, but a career derailed by injuries, yes, but 
Bob Sanders was able to fight through and his injuries weren't debilitating to the point that when he was out there, he was ineffective. Like when Bob Sanders was playing, when he was actually in the lineup, Mm -hmm. he was a difference maker. But now with Shaq Leonard, even when he's in there, he's just another dude out there. And yeah, Zaire Franklin has become the premier linebacker for the Colts. And it's not even close. 46862, again, your text line number. Coming up on the other side, three reasons why the Irish will beat USC Saturday night. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Thanks for joining us on your Friday. Don't forget you can stream us, 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. And reach us on Twitter. Caleb Kinney 1380 is the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J Kinney OPS. Or reach us on the text line at 46862. Again, that number 46862. Just put CK before your message. Or you can text hockey to 46862 and be in the running for a pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon at the Coliseum as we pick another winner of Comets tickets. Again, just text hockey to 46862 and you can see the Comets in action on Sunday afternoon. All right. So Notre Dame USC coming up Saturday night. And I think a lot has been said about USC's offense. A lot has been said about Notre Dame's offense. And of course, USC's bad defense, but some of the things we haven't talked about, some of the intangible things, and USC's issue is they're not a physical team, right? Lincoln Riley teams aren't physical football teams. They're a finesse team, not yes. physical. And when you look at the conditions Saturday night where it could could be very windy, could be off and on rain, it's going to be cold, and that does not bode well if you're a finesse team. And another reason is Notre Dame is a physical team. Uh, yes, They've lost a couple of games this season, but you can't say they didn't go punch for punch with Ohio State. Obviously, did, did not go that route against Louisville. Uh, that game was only close for a half, but you went back and forth with Ohio State, which, again, people want to argue Ohio State's a finesse team, but defensively, they're one of the best defenses in the country. Statistically, you, you can't argue with that. Well, they have to figure out some things, though. Yes, they do. But as far as the physicality, Notre Dame has a clear edge. Can they tackle? Uh, It's also a USC team that that spotted Arizona a 17-0 lead at home last week before winning in triple overtime. So USC's definitely been playing with fire with how they've let teams either stay in the game like Arizona or come back into the game like they did Colorado the week before. But I do think there's just as much concern with Notre Dame and how they've performed over the last couple weeks as well. I, I do think this is a game and we've talked about it throughout this week, that favors the Irish in all of the categories outside of Caleb Williams. Yeah. (laughs) And that is a big, big uh, exception. I mean, he's the reigning Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. So this is what elite players do. This is what the consensus number one overall pick in next year's draft does, is finds ways to win games on the road when nobody thinks you're going to. And outside of, of circles around Southern California, I feel like you or Notre Dame is the favorite in this game. They're being picked by a lot of people to win this game. But the huge, huge asterisk is Caleb Williams. 
But here's the thing. Like, he can't do it all. Yes, he can. Especially in less than ideal weather. Notre Dame has a, a really good defense. They're, they're top 12 in total defense. They have an elite secondary. So USC and Caleb Williams doesn't have the weapons at wide receiver that he had, say, last year. There's no Jordan Addison to rescue him every every throw. No, Caleb Williams doesn't need rescue. This dude is a Heisman Trophy winner. He is the best quarterback in the country, and I'm just not just writing him off because of the weather and Notre Dame's supposedly elite defense that couldn't tackle and get stops last week against Louisville. I'm saying there's a lot of, of advantages for Notre Dame in this one, but people continue to just, in my opinion, look out after. Caleb Williams is the best player in college football. And he is capable of leading a team to a win by himself tomorrow night. Okay, well then the Notre Dame run game is going to wear down USC's front. If they can uh, run the ball. USC's given up 157 yards per game to other teams rushing. So Notre Dame has the depth at running back. I mean, you look at the struggles offensively for Notre Dame. Let's not forget... Ohio State, I think, is 8th in total defense. Duke is 18th. Louisville, 26th. You're, you're talking basically three top 25 decent defenses that Notre Dame struggled offensively against. USC is not that. They're 109th. The, the, the defense stinks. Notre Dame can control the tempo of this game. All they need to do is just run the football and continue to run the football. I look at an offense that can't run the football right now. Yeah, it's played good defenses, but USC... Great defenses. Not good. Great defenses. Uh, top 25 is not... That's great. There are 130 teams in college football. So they're in the top 20%. That's not great. I mean, that's good. I mean, if you're in the top 10, it's it's great. I'm not, I'm not saying the 26th ranked defense in the country is great. They're decent. They're good. They're above average. I would say they're more than good. No, I'm saying they're good. They're above average. I mean, average is, is 60. They're above average. But I think... I, I, I agree with you that Notre Dame should be able to do this, but what have you seen over the last three weeks that makes you think Notre Dame is just going to run away from USC? I've and run for 300 yards and, and win this game comfortably. I, what have I... I've seen a team that's, that's played two out of the three games, uh, really close games against really good defenses... So I'm not worried about the lack of points. I'm worried more about Notre Dame as far as the play calling and the execution. But the lack of points is not a concern. No, I think it is. I think you're going to have to score on almost every possession in this game. And Notre Dame, the offense right now, as it's built, is not capable of doing that. I don't care what defense it is. I don't care if it's Snyder's defense out there. I don't know if this Notre Dame team can execute in the way it needs to offensively to score. The offensive line hasn't been able to block. I mean, this is the thing. They've played elite defenses. I'll give you that, or really good defenses. But this offensive line is supposed to be elite. It has two first-round picks, and yet it looks decidedly average at best. It should be the team and the offensive line and the offense that's dominating offenses or defenses, and it's not. So I don't know if you're going to be able to run your way to a win tomorrow night. You're going to have to match Caleb Williams score for score, in my opinion, in this game. And I don't know if the offense is capable of doing it. I think Notre Dame wins this game, but I'm not as confident as you are in, in, in the fact that it's going to happen. I mean, you, you look at last year's matchup between Notre Dame and USC. Notre Dame playing with a, a quarterback who would probably be, what, third string on the roster this year in Drew Pine. Notre Dame lost by 11. They kept this game close. Yeah, they were always playing from behind. But that yeah. was a, a much worse Notre Dame team offensively. 
I'm not comparing last year to this year. I'm not, I do. I'm, I'm looking in, at in this a year's much better USC offense. I'm looking at this this year and this matchup. Uh, text coming in. ND fans are making things up in their heads to make themselves feel good about tomorrow night. USC is bored with their schedule. They sleepwalk. That won't be the case tomorrow. Our only big game win ND has in our lifetime is when Trevor Lawrence was hurt. Uh, Notre Dame won at Oklahoma in 2012. Yeah, define lifetime. Yeah. I mean, getting to the <laughs> getting into the college football playoff or getting to the national championship game is 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 impressive. So someone else saying Lures is better than Notre Dame, but USC Lures, isn't. <laughs> it's always funny when you bring out like the Notre Dame talk. It's always the Notre Dame haters that always talk about. Like, I get it, you don't like Notre Dame, but to marginalize the program and how relevant they are in college football, it it's 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 a it's a tired discussion, okay? You could say things like that pre-Brian Kelly, even early Brian Kelly, but Notre Dame is one of the top 10 programs in the country, and that's reality. It's You can no longer say Notre Dame's irrelevant and all that stuff. Notre Dame is completely relevant in college football. Okay, so the haters, I get it you hate Notre Dame, and you want to, to pee on them anytime you possibly can. I get it. But at the same time, you can't because this Notre Dame program is much more relevant than the Notre Dame haters want to admit. They always want to crap on Notre Dame at all at all possible opportunities. But Notre Dame is relevant. Notre Dame is good. I'm just saying this game isn't as bi- as much of a slam dunk as people like to think it is. This USC team feels like Florida State in 2014 when Florida State was winning all these close games and they had obvious flaws, but they were still undefeated, right? And then they ran into the first, you know, good team they played all year and they got absolutely annihilated by Oregon in the college football playoff. I mean, that's that's what this feels like to me. I mean, that Florida State team, now, not not the offense, but they had a reigning Heisman winner. Uh, and it just felt like they were playing with fire every single week. It's so many close games, so many games they probably should have lost. They kept winning. USC feels like a team that has won so far this year because of their offense, despite their defense. And eventually that will catch up to you when you play a team that is able to, oh, I don't know, be elite defensively, which we talked about earlier this week. USC has not played any elite defensive teams. The best offensive team they have, they have played, I believe, was Arizona, which is like 41st, and Arizona State 47th in, in total defense. Those aren't good defensive teams. No, I know we I can I know we can nitpick about you know top 25, 26 being good or not, but 41st that's that's average. 47th average, and majority of their teams. I mean, Colorado is like 127th. Yeah, uh, Nevada I think was like 90th. Uh, San Jose State was was way back there as well. So that's what I see happening is just a, a team with a defense that, yes, they've been able to do things against much lesser opponents. Let's also not forget when you, you compare schedules between these teams, and USC is struggling with teams that they should not be struggling with. Colorado. I get it was a road game, but USC just let them back in that game and made it close. Arizona, they never should have fallen behind 17-0 at home and had to win in triple overtime. Arizona State, that was a 14-point game. 
Arizona State's not very good. Um, yeah, they took care of business against San Jose State, which was even closer than people expected, giving up 28 points. Took care of business against Nevada, Stanford. When did, when did Nevada get so bad, by the way? They've been bad for a while. I know. They were a decent group of five program for a while there. But anyway, I I understand what you're saying. I get this. But USC is still a very good offense with the best quarterback in the country coming into Notre Dame. And I'm not convinced that Notre Dame can put a complete game together at the, at this point, after what we've seen over the past three weeks. So would I, and I, and I think coming out of this game tomorrow night after this game is over, if Notre Dame loses this game, there's a hell of a lot of questions about this program going forward, because this is a game. Yes. Based on everything you've said should win this game. If they don't, then that brings up greater discussions about the Irish. I yeah, hate the and, term. And, and, it's not must win. No. But it's a you better win type game. Doesn't it feel like, like you better win this game? You okay? win this game, the season feels back on track. I think any hopes of the college football playoff were like it, it was a good storyline in the beginning, but it never was a realistic expectation. I mean, to you and I going into the season, this was a team we figured at best would be 10 and 2 based on the schedule. Now, the ACC has turned out to be a really solid conference and better than I think anyone would have expected. Uh, at worst, obviously 8-4, and four, but we figured 10-2 and two possible, 9-3 and three probably the most realistic record. Yeah. If they lose on Saturday night, they'd have to go out and win the rest of their regular season games. Possible? Yes. Well, likely? Not sure. But I'm not looking at the record. I'm looking at you have two opportunities at home to be- beat a top 10 program. And in USC, a top five program, and you wouldn't be able to do either one. What was the big, the big caveat with Brian Kelly? Couldn't win the big games. Yeah. And if you can't win this game, that already starts, or it it continues to fuel the mantra that Marcus Freeman can't win the big games either. Marcus Freeman already beat a top five team at home last year. Well, I know, but so I mean, Brian <laughs> Kelly had a couple good wins, but th- we knew how bad that, that eventually that that that. Uh, Clemson team was. They still won 10 games. They did. I agree. Brian Kelly had some big wins too. I'm not saying that, but this is the thing is these are two games at home that you thought at worst you would split. You can't lose both of them. 46862, your text line number 46862. Meanwhile, on the other side, spoiler makers again. No. <laughs> Purdue, Ohio State preview. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 the fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Text rolling in on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Uh, this one, this might be our text of the day. What about that great NLCS that everyone was anticipating? Braves versus Dodgers. What a bunch of choke artists signed Matt Painter. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Leads right into talking about Purdue football. <laughs> That's right. Great segue. So Purdue, uh, not choke artists on the football field, at least in the sense that we we expected you know them to be kind of up and down. Now I've been high on Purdue going into the season. That was clearly my mistake. I was too high on Hudson Card. I've yet to see it from him being the quarterback I thought it could be. And and look, it's it's one thing to transition to a new offense, a new program with a new head coach. I get that. But he is a talented player. I, I feel like we're just waiting for him to have a breakout game, right? And why not this Saturday? 
Purdue hosting number three Ohio State. You look at what the Boilers have done now. Get it? It was under Jeff Brom. The Boilers three and two in the last five years against top five teams. Purdue a nineteen point underdog at home at last check in this matchup. So, and this line shifted really just briefly. Like it was what nineteen and a half at one point. I think now it's at nineteen. Yeah, it's not moved very much. So I don't think we're expecting a, a lot of change on that. But for the Boilers, this is an opportunity to completely turn their season around. Last week, they gave up one big play at Iowa. That was enough for the Hawkeyes uh, offensively to get it done. But the, the key things for this game, noon game on Peacock. First off, again, the game is on Peacock. So a reminder, if you want to watch it, you'll need Peacock. I think Ohio State fans are, Purdue yeah. fans are used to it at this point. Yeah, but Ohio State week. fans, be aware. Uh, meanwhile, on the field, a couple of things I, I'm I'm curious about. When is Hudson Card going to get the protection he needs? Also, limit his mistakes and, and have a breakout game. Could it be this week? Who knows? I mean, it, it the Ohio State has outside of the Notre Dame game has not really had tough road games and tough matchups, right? No, but I they're mean, a, they're a good a team. Dominant defense right yes. now. I mean, third nationally in points allowed. Top six in passing yards allowed. Top ten in total defense. I don't see Purdue being able to do much against this. This has to be an ugly, uh, low-scoring game for Purdue to have a shot. And and the weather is conducive to that. Yes. It's going to be mid-50s and rain tomorrow in West Lafayette. And the other thing, let's not forget that Ohio State has Penn State the next week. And I, I get people and say, well, I, players don't look ahead. These are... 18 to 22, 23 year olds. Of course they look ahead. That's, that's what they do. They're college kids. So let's not discount that as a potential impact in this game. They know they have a big game coming up next week. They feel like they should be able to, to walk through this matchup against Purdue. And based on the way Purdue's played this year, rightfully so. But this is an opportunity for Purdue. You're, you're hosting a top five team. You have an opportunity. The other thing that's going to be fascinating to watch, the Ohio State wide receivers against Purdue's secondary. Obviously, Dylan Thieneman's been great as a freshman, as a safety. However, Purdue is going to have to start another freshman corner uh, because of injuries. So this is another thing to keep in mind uh, for the Boilers is defensively, they're going to have to to make some plays as Marquise Wilson uh, suffered a season-ending injury and so Derek Rogers Jr., a freshman, uh, is going to get the start. Coaching Ugh. staff raved about him this week in practice. Uh, but matching up with Mecca Abuka. Or Marvin Harrison Jr. Or, yeah, or Marvin Harrison Jr. That is, I mean, you're talking about two of the best wide receivers in all of college football. So that's going to be the thing to watch. If Purdue's secondary can just be serviceable, that could keep them in this game. It could, but they got to score points. They got to find a way to score points and move the football against Ohio State defense that's been very, very good. I know that the last time Ohio State was in West Lafayette was the Tyler Trent game in 2018. I get it. But the problem of that is that was a better Purdue football team in 2018. Rondell Moore, that group, was coming off three straight wins and just destroyed Illinois on the road the week before. I mean, it was just a perfect storm. The emotions of Tyler Trent perfect storm that Ohio State was going into. I mean, Purdue was 3-3 three and three going into that game, though. But it won three straight games, and it just yeah. destroyed Illinois on the road the week before. They were I mean, playing a, their best football yes. of the year. 
and the the and of the biggest thing, of course, was the emotion with around Tyler Trent. That's not there here with Purdue. Purdue fans are not going to be focused on Tyler Trent and Ohio State this game because you know what they're going to do in the opening kickoff? They're going to yell, IU sucks. <laughs> okay, that's where their mind's going to be. The ones that show up. And that's a problem too. Because you look at this weather and you say, this could be advantage Purdue because it's going to be nasty. But you know what? College kids hate weather. And they're not going to come out in droves that they otherwise would if it was sunny and 70 degrees. So I talked about earlier this week about the atmosphere at Ross-Aid Stadium and how Purdue can, can be fueled by that if it's, if, it's, if it's good. 2018, it was absolutely phenomenal against Ohio State. But where is that crowd at kickoff at noon tomorrow? Is it a half full? Is it a two-thirds full Ross-Aid? People trickling in, students going, I'm not going because it's 50s and wet. Uh, it can be an advantage for Purdue, but I think crowd-wise, it could be a disadvantage. Ohio State, or Purdue needs everything to go right emotionally to have a shot in this game. It did in 2018. I don't see it as being the case in 2023. We shall see come Monday if my outrageous pick will have any legs. Get those or texts if- ready, 46862. You can even send them during the game on Saturday. We'll, yeah. just, we'll just go through the archives and find them. Yeah, we can we can find old texts. Yeah, that, that won't be a so problem. <laughs> as Purdue is getting curb stomped on on uh, Saturday afternoon, make sure you text four six eight six two. Coming up on the other side, we'll talk with Comets broadcaster Shane Alberani building a roster. What are the things that he has seen in this first week of camp? Who has impressed him? What stands out? And get you a preview of the exhibition games coming up. Saturday night and Sunday afternoon against Iowa. We'll talk with Shane Alberani next, plus more Comets tickets to give away. Congrats to Dylan, our winner this hour. We'll have another couple pairs to give away next hour. That's next here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning on a Friday on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Coming up this hour on the show, we'll talk with the voice of the comet, Shane Alberani. He will join us shortly. Plus, Pat McAfee paying Aaron Rodgers for interviews on his show. Fair or foul, we'll get to that. Brett Rump will join us around 8.30. Sectional pairings out in high school football. Plus, the final week of the regular season. 1380, the fan game of the week. Lures at Homestead will preview that. Other key area matchups for Week 9 tonight as well. And before we leave you, a bear stealing... Bears. We'll explain that. Plus, Comets tickets to give away. Uh, text Iowa to 46862. Again, Iowa to 46862. You'll be in the running for a pair of tickets. See the Comets against the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon. Puck drop 4 o'clock at the Coliseum. Again, Iowa to 46862. Speaking of the Comets and Comets tickets, Shane Alberani, the voice of the K's, joining us on the guest line. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, guys. So it's been a busy week. Training camp opening for the upcoming season earlier this week. Obviously, two exhibition games, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon for the K's this weekend. Uh, What has impressed you the most so far in camp? Is there a player, position group? What's been your biggest takeaway so far this week? Well, the fact that the the Comets have got nine contract players from the AHL uh, is really impressive because the Comets haven't had this much help from their affiliates since never. Uh, so it's really kind of new territory uh, to see the uh, injection of talent 
uh, just come to town just really over over the course of 48 hours. And, you know, there's been a lot of criticism about the training camp roster coming coming into camp because it was just filled with, with, uh, with, with rookies. Uh, but, uh, you know, there, there's always a plan, and there's always stuff that happens around training camp time. So, really, you know, what you do in the summer is just kind of the groundwork. But until that puck actually drops and the ice is down at the Coliseum, you really don't know what kind of team you're going to have. But as it looks right now, if, if this can, can stay consistent uh, with these guys down from Bakersfield, it's going to be a fun year. And Shane, with those guys down from Bakersfield, I'm, I'm sure are they required to make the roster? Can the case send guys back to Bakersfield? How's that work? No, it's it's just like you know minor league baseball. You know they're they are property of uh, of parent club, and you actually have two guys uh, on NHL contracts. Uh, Jake Chason and Carl Berglund are are with the Edmonton Oilers, and everyone else is with Bakersfield. And we have one player, Xavier Cormier, uh, who was in Charlotte, and the reason why he's in Fort Wayne is that, well, he played with uh, Jesse Kalecki in Florida, and if he was going to get sent down, he wanted to go play for Jesse. So uh, there's a great connection there between him and the coach. And uh, uh, But, no, uh, they are obviously will make the team, so that means uh, Jesse Kalecki is going to have a lot of uh, hard decisions to make because, really, the rookies who have been in the camp and, and guys invited to camp, I, they're really – I can't say there's one guy, oh, hey, there's a guy you got to get rid of. I mean, it's going to be a really, really interesting – uh, uh, way, a situation to cut this roster down uh, before opening night. Shane, you mentioned Coach Kalecki, and have you noticed any radical differences or even subtle differences in terms of training camp and how he approaches things as opposed to the previous regime? Well, I, I mean, he it's, it's been very intense, and I think, uh, but that also has to go with the mix of players that he has in, because with uh, all the contract guys now came down, well, that pushes the other guys. They know if there's not that many spots left, so they are going to have to uh, be very intense out on the ice and, and every second of every practice. So uh, all the practices I've seen have been really, really well ran, and uh, they have been intense. Uh, so I, I think just, I mean, this is really, you know, what it, I think maybe the final count was 38 guys in camp. We actually, they actually had to make a few cuts before he wanted to just because there were so many uh, guys on the ice uh, this week, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, when you have that many guys in camp, I think it was is the most since 1990. Uh, you're going to have some a lot of intense moments out there during practice. Shane Alberani voiced the comments with us on the guest line. So, with having that many guys, and you mentioned already some cuts have come through. Any surprise cuts you anticipate uh, coming, say next week before the season starts? You know, I, I really don't know uh, because you know you still have got. Bakersfield could still call guys up even before the home opener. So, uh, you know, I don't know when those cups are going to be. Normally they are uh, after the exhibition game on Sunday, uh, but I'm not sure exactly you know, if, if guys do go back up to Bakersfield, what that's going to put uh, with the position that Coach Kalecki is going to be in because he certainly cannot cut guys and then, you know, be in a bad spot <laughs> if you lose two or three guys up to Bakersfield. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be a real interesting week kind of playing uh, that, that game of if, if guys get called up or not. Looking at the goaltender position, Shane, we had a couple uh, guys get reassigned uh, this past week, but where do, where do the K's stand in terms of between the pipes? Well, three goaltenders, and you got three really good ones. Uh, Tyler Parks got sent down from Bakersfield uh, yesterday. He'll arrive in the Comets camp sometime next week, uh, but uh, he is a legit uh, veteran goaltender, 31 years of age, has spent a lot of time in the AHL. 
you got uh, you have uh, uh, Francois Brassard, who two years ago was the ECHL goaltender of the year. He really could have played uh, anywhere in the ECHL, and he chose Fort Wayne. And then you've got uh, the rookie Brent Brochu uh, coming in, and he's been impressive in camp. He's only 20 years old. He comes in with tremendous stats uh, coming out of London of the OHL. Uh, so there's another decision. You know, you want to be able to hang on to three goaltenders as long as you can because, you know, Parks can get the call at any time to go back up uh, to the AHL. You, you certainly would not want to have to trade or cut uh, someone of the caliber of Brett Rochu. So, man, it is it is going to be really interesting. Again, I do not envy the coaching staff and, and uh, David Franke next week. Shane, what are you looking for this weekend on the ice in the exhibition games? Anything in particular that year after year you, you look for as kind of a predictor of success for the season? Well, I think, you know, looking at the scrimmage that the team had yesterday, they were it was one of the best defensive scrimmages I have ever seen. I mean, the two teams scrimmaged for 45 minutes, only one goal was scored. One. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's one thing the Comets were lacking last year. I think there's there's plenty of offense on this team, but the defense all around, from the forecheck to the backcheck to the defenseman to the forwards, no one really liked to play defense last year. And that is already just a complete 180 already in camp. So I would like to continue to see that shutdown defense happen over the uh, the preseason games. Shane, in terms of bringing Sean Sidlowski back and, and how that went about after he spent the yeah, last year in Orlando, what are the K's and Coach Kalecki looking to get out of Sidlowski both on the ice and in the locker room? I think it's, you know, whatever Sid can still give. You know, I think he knows what his role is going to be. He knows he's not a top-line guy anymore. You know, he's 33 years old. He's, he's coming to the end, and, and I think the expectations are realistic. You know, what, what is he going to give you? You know, is, is he, is he going to play 60 games? You know, you know, probably not. You know, is he going to be more of a, a power play specialist? Yes, that, that's really... Uh, still part of his game. So, no, I think the expectations are, are, are pretty set for Sid and whatever they can give this team, he's going to. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments with us. What has been the, the thing that stuck out to you the most with Jesse Kalicki and, and what he's come into? Obviously, the, the comments are a franchise that want to go to the playoffs every year, but what has kind of stuck out and made him different compared to previous coaches so far? Well, what makes it fun is that, you know, Jesse Kalecki, he he breaks a a long coaching string. Uh, You know, the Comets have not gone outside of the family since, uh, I want to say, Pat Bingham back uh, around 2005. Uh, So, you know, you went went from uh, Al Sims to to Gary Graham to to Ben Boudreau, who they were all, you know, together. It was was a coaching line. All, All had ties to the Comets. So, Bringing in a coach that has no ties to Fort Wayne at all, it really has been refreshing because it's it's been a whole new attitude, a whole new look. And uh, with Jesse Kalecki, you know, he has been a, a, a champion last two years with Florida. So he does not know defeat in the playoffs in the ECHL. He's got two years under him and he's got two rings. So uh, uh, he wants a third, and, that, and he, he makes that very – very apparent. That's what he wants to do, and and Jesse has been all business. Considering he he didn't get the job until later on in the summer, and he's had to start the recruitment process late. He has been done an amazing job while trying to to move to Fort Wayne, sell his house in Florida, and become a full time Fort Wayne resident. He's really done a terrific job. 
Shane, so much to talk about with the K's. Any storylines around the Central Division with Indy and, and Toledo and Cincinnati, Kalamazoo, uh, those teams in terms of building their rosters as well? Every team's going through it right about now, but anything that stands out with some of those other squads and what's going on? Yeah, Kalamazoo's interesting because you know that is an organization that is tired of missing the playoffs, uh, and their fan base is tired of them missing the playoffs. And last year when they could kind of see the writing on the wall, they weren't going to make the playoffs. They were very proactive. They made a lot of trades down, to, down the stretch for future considerations, uh, players that were going to come to town this year. Uh, so their lineup is looking pretty, pretty solid already coming out of camp. And also, Wheeling, uh, you know, they have a new player, uh, 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 director of player personnel in Pittsburgh, who very much believes in the, 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 the minor league system using your double-A franchise to, to get more prospects, just kind of like the, the baseball model. Uh, and you're seeing that they, they got a dump of about nine guys uh, from their affiliate uh, last week right before camp. So if they can hold that together, Wheeling might be a surprise team as well. And, of course, you know Toledo is going to be Toledo. So <laughs> the division is going to go through Toledo, so that's, uh, that's not going to change. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments with us on the guest line. Uh, you, you talked about Jesse Kalicki's success in the postseason, the ECHL, learning from Brad Ralph. Um, the coaching style, you mentioned going kind of outside the family. Is this a, a big shift in coaching style also for the K's compared to previous coaches? Yeah, you know, just, the, just I could tell us by the practice. The practice has been uh, a lot more intense. Uh, you know, uh, Jesse has also been very vocal and, and bringing in Corey Milker too, who was, uh, a good friend of his, uh, who they had coached together, uh, previously in the SPHL has also been kind of a, uh, a good factor as well. And also, but you still kind of, you, you hold that Fort Wayne tradition because you, you held on to Olivier Legault and that you created an associate head coach position for him. And he is able to kind of really educate. Uh, these guys and the players about the you know what it's like to be a Fort Wayne Comet, what's it like to be here in Fort Wayne, and that has been really really helpful uh, for those two guys because coming into Fort Wayne, you, you kind of knew a little bit about the lore, but they really didn't know the history, and, and to have legs to be there and to kind of teach them that is, has been great. But no, I can tell there has been a difference in, in coaching styles and, and just pure intensity because Jesse and, and Corey they're just talking twenty four seven and uh, they're going to have this team ready to go by opening night. Shay, when you look at the guys that don't make this uh, opening night roster, and some of them may be guys that eventually make their way to the Ks at some point over the course of the season based on injuries and call-ups and stuff, what's the process for those guys? I mean, where do they go after being released, and how do the Ks maybe kind of keep in touch and keep tabs on those guys based on needs going forward? Yeah, you know, if guys go down to the SPHL, uh, that's the uh, a good place to, to keep those um, uh, those connections alive, uh, but you know a lot of times they're they're going to get picked up by other ECHL teams. So we'll probably see them down the road. But that's just the, the nature of, of the business. You know when when you when you're working in affiliated hockey like we do, you know you get the affiliated guys and you have to play them, uh, which means you have to send some good affiliated guys maybe down the road, and and that, that's that's for sure that is going to happen. So. Uh, yeah, it's just the nature of uh, the business, but who knows? Hopefully, if guys find spots in the SPHL, you know, we might see them down the road. It happened last year. You know, Tristan Pelletier got cut out of camp for the Comets, uh, went down, played about maybe uh, 10 games down in the SPHL, 
we had injuries. He got called right back, and he spent the same the the rest of the season in Fort Wayne. So it does happen. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments with us. Shane, as always, appreciate the time. Look forward to the call coming up this weekend. And uh, just a week away from the start of the season. Hard to believe we're already ready for common hockey once again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, the exhibition games won't be broadcast, uh, so please come on out and see the comments this weekend, Saturday uh, and Sunday. And uh, the home opener is the 21st, but we start on the road uh, against Indy on the 20th. We only had two wins against Indy last year, so uh, the revenge tour will start on the 20th. Shane Alberani, Voice of the Gays. Thanks, Shane. Thanks. That's Shane Alberani with us, and we have more tickets to give away. Again, just text Iowa to 46862. You'll be in the running for a pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon puck drop at 4 o'clock. Again, text Iowa to 46862. Meanwhile, on the other side, a report came out yesterday. Pat McAfee pays Aaron Rodgers millions of dollars for interviews. Fair or foul? We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. You can text Iowa to that number, be in the running for a pair of tickets. See the comments in the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 4 o'clock. Again, just text Iowa to 46862. We'll pick a winner here coming up in, I don't know, about five minutes. So, Get your entries in. We'll, we still have one more pair after that. So, oh man, have one, yeah, we have a lot. So we've we've gone through these this week, and a lot of people want to see the K's in the exhibition. That's great to see, absolutely, especially with the game not being broadcast on the radio. So, if yeah, you want so to see the K's, if you want to want to know what's going on with this roster, this and is who's your standing chance. out and who's stinking it up. Win some tickets. Go see the K's this weekend. Meanwhile, in uh, what? Media news. I Media know. news. This, this, this was fascinating to me. So there was a report I saw yesterday that Aaron Rodgers has made over a million dollars for his Pat McAfee show interviews. Uh, that coming out from, I think, the New York Post. And th- this happens all the time, right? I, I mean, we even see this like on radio where you get like a, a, a coach or a former coach or a player and they make weekly appearances. Like, this is nothing new. Uh, the article... I saw a separate article detail that, well, Eli Manning, for example, got paid six figures for weekly interviews back when he played for the Giants on the fan in New York. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a common occurrence. I guess with this that I found fascinating is, you know, we see this with radio interviews, we see this with TV interview like exclusives, like Oprah's getting these exclusive interviews probably because they're paying for it, right? Right. You know, like, let's uh, not Barbara get Walters would get the yeah. exclusive stuff. Like they're paying yeah. to get that. So I was like, I don't know how I, I like, uh, am I supposed to feel outraged by this? I, I, I'm just used to it. I, maybe if I, since I came from, from media, uh, newspapers and journalism, like you kind of just figure like when, when you talk about newspapers getting exclusives and stuff, like sometimes they're paying for, for that exclusive. Okay. So this is nothing new. So it, Really, it's not so much that that I found fascinating. It's how much. Uh, so a lot. The, the Pat McAfee show uh, and also college game day that Pat McAfee does for ESPN as part of a five-year, $85 million contract. I mean, between a show being on TV and I believe on ESPN radio, right? Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And then along with, 
obviously doing college game day as well on Saturday mornings. Five-year, $85 million contract. And he, he said he's done things like this for years. Now, the one thing I find a bit unbecoming is that Pat and Aaron act like they're old buddies. Yeah. Like in the interviews. True. true that's yeah. the thing that I'm like, oh, okay. Like it's one thing to act and I get it. It's another that well, Rogers is happy to come on. He's getting paid. Right. Right. Absolutely. But it's just the, the way they act like they don't present it. Like it's, of Some, a, a business transaction. Yeah, business trans. It's presented <laughs> like their buddies just talking, hanging out, doing interviews, and which it is helps. probably what they wanted because they want. Oh, I want to watch or listen to Pat McAfee because he's got the in with Aaron Rodgers and their pals and all that stuff. Where no, he's he's paying to be his friend. Is basically that, what it is. That is the part that's a little <laughs> iffy to me. Uh, with Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays, he also does Nick Saban Thursdays, and again, I'm sure he's paying for those appearances too. Oh, I'm sure Nick Saban's making money off that, and and that's fine. But it's that they present it like their best buddies in the interviews. And, and I thought, okay, it made sense to have a former NFL player, you know, have contacts and have other NFL players and former NFL players come on. I mean, look, AJ Hawk is a co-host, another former NFL player. AJ Hawk is part of the show, played with Aaron Rodgers. So it makes sense in that aspect, right? What was surprising is the fact that Rodgers is getting paid and getting paid a lot of money for these interviews on a week-to-week basis. I guess I didn't think about it enough that maybe there was money changing hands or whatever. But it, I, Yeah, I never surprising. thought about it because I thought that a former NFL player... Yeah, sure. Maybe he's got an in with Aaron Rodgers, especially with A.J. Hawk as a yeah. co-host, but eh, whatever. And if they want to be fake friends for money, uh doesn't affect me. Whatever. Is this change, though, how you feel or any i mean it doesn't really change anything i'm not a pat mcafee guy anyway i I know plenty of people are and that's fine yeah i to me not my cup of tea that's fine i don't get it i i don't understand it but it's fine like it's not like i'm gonna say like he's terrible it's just not my style of what i would i mean first take also not my style for example right but i don't i don't need to still be on television correct one thing i i found funny is it pat said in a quote when he was reached out way too much of me on TV. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I would agree. I don't like him on game day. I don't either. I'm not a, a Pat McAfee guy, but the people that are more Pat, the better. That's fine. But I'm just not a fan. But Aaron Rodgers is apparently a fan, provided he's getting paid a million dollars. <laughs> That's just good business sense. If you're yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Seriously. Four, six, eight, six, two, your text line number again, four, six, eight, six, two coming up on the other side, a guy who will not be getting paid for this interview, but we appreciate his time each and every week. Brett Rump will join us, host of the Sports Rush, also the voice of high school football here on 1380 The Fan. Lures at Homestead, our game of the week. Other key area matchups for week nine, final week of the regular season, and we'll take a look at sectional matchups as well. That's all next with Brett here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. And Brett Rump joining us on the guest line, voice of high school football, also hosts the Sports Rush from 4 to 6 every afternoon here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final week of the regular season here tonight, Brett. Uh, the season has flown by. We say this every year, but the season has flown by. 
Yeah, it absolutely has. It seems like just yesterday we were all abuzz about some of the non-conference matchups in the SAC that we're going to start the season off. And next thing you know, you blink and we're talking about the championships for each conference. The season really does just fly by us. And Brett, when we talk about the start of the season and now, week nine, is there anything that stands out to you as as surprises from what you expected going into week one to now, tonight, as we wrap up the regular season? Well, I mean, I think all the talk around the city is about Bishop Lewers and, you know, taking a smaller side team, whether you call it the B division or the smaller division, whatever you're calling it, in the SAC and a team that's got a chance to run the slate, finish undefeated. And if you look back in weeks one and two, it wasn't exactly a, a Lures team that came out and made a statement that they were going to be somebody that was competing for an SAC title when they got uh, beat pretty badly by East Noble and New Haven in their first two games. And so I think that's probably the biggest storyline we've got that maybe was a storyline that we didn't expect was that Bishop Lures would be in this position tonight where they could uh, – you know, knock off the the powers like the Snyders and the Carrolls and claim an SAC championship all by themselves. And, yes, you could talk all you want about the virtues of being uh, having a schedule that might favor them, but, uh, but I don't think anybody expected, even with the favorable schedules, and that was, let's go, go back and be, be honest about it, that's one of the reasons we set up this entire two-division process was to try to make the schedules a little more equitable so that some of the schools that don't have the power programs didn't always have to match up against the biggest schools in the conference because there were some mismatches that just didn't make sense for either school. And so I, uh, you know, I can't complain about the position the Bishop Lures is in. A lot of people do want to argue that they got a gift this year because they don't play Carroll and Snyder. But, uh, again, as the smallest school in the SAC, I, I think what they've done should be commended because so often we use an excuse at this time of year. And, Justin, you know it. Probably four times out of every five years, we talk about Lure's regular season record, and it's no indication as to what kind of postseason they will have. The fact that they are 6-0 and against SAC competition at this point is pretty remarkable because they've had some really good teams and some good teams that didn't go undefeated through six games. And I don't care who they played. You pick six opponents, any six. And there were a lot of really good Bishop Lewis teams that did not go 6-0 and in the past. So uh, I don't think we should water down what they've done this year just because they don't play Snyder and they don't play Carroll. Brett Rump of the Sports Rush, also voice of high school football with us on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And here's the thing. They play Carroll and Snyder next year anyway, so that will take care of itself. Looking at tonight, it, kind of a odd night because it's before sectional games. You you have some good matchups. Is obviously a lot on the line the SAC. What other game are you looking forward to most outside, of course, Lures and Homestead this evening? Well, uh, you know, the big one, I think, is, is obviously Lures homestead and, and what's interesting about Week 9 
is, first of all, there's not a lot of marquee matchups. I mean, you go through and look at the teams that are going to be playing in tonight's games, and, uh, you know, it's not like you, games are just jumping off the page at you. I mean, there's some games that might provide a little intrigue. I think Bluffton going to Lakeland is kind of an interesting game, uh, but what does it really mean? It's non-conference, and next week's going to be so much bigger for all these teams. I think... I think the important thing about tonight is not the matchups for most of these teams tonight, because if you look at them on paper, it's not a it's not a week where we've got, you know, a, a long list of showcase games. But the importance of tonight is where are these teams at, and what type of momentum can they take with them into the tournament, and are they going to be healthy? Are they going to be playing their best football? How many times during the course of the season do we hear coaches or even media talking about the goal of all the teams is to be playing their best football in Week 10? And right now you've got some area teams that haven't necessarily done that. Uh, you know, Columbia City got off to that great start, but they've lost three in a row. We just mentioned Bluffton, and Bluffton got off to a great start, but they've lost two in a row. Two really good teams, but you're going to face some good teams along the way in postseason as well. So, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that have something they want to prove tonight and uh, and try to kind of set the tone for what they're going to face. I mean, in, in, in reality, I think psychologically, a lot of these area coaches are probably wanting their teams to take on the idea that the tournament starts tonight. This is where we start playing our, quote, tournament-style football and I think we'll see a lot of that. So that's one of the things with Week 9. You don't have the biggest matchups, but you do have the storylines of who claims outright championships and who has shared championships. And then you also get to kind of evaluate teams on where they're at health-wise, where they're at as far as how they're playing as you move into the postseason. Brett, maybe a game flying a little under the radar in the SAC, Wayne and Snyder. Wayne has been very good of late defensively. That was an issue for them last year in big games, but not saying necessarily that the Panthers are on upset watch or anything, but how big of a factor could Wayne be in terms of not only keeping this game close, but also in that ultra-competitive sectional 19 that kicks off next week? Yeah, that's going to be a huge sectional. I mean, (laughs) I... I look at that and I'm like, boy, that's like going through a sectional, a regional, and a semi-state all in three weeks' time, and you only have advanced through the sectional. Uh, but, you know, Wayne might be one of those sleeper teams. I, I've said all year, you know, they've got some playmakers that can break some big plays against you. Uh, defensively, they have been much improved over what they've been in the past, especially of late. Uh, I just think Snyder's a complete football team, and I don't think it's going to give us a great measurement on where Wayne is at as they move on to play Bishop Dwenger next week. We know Snyder beat Dwenger by 20 points, uh, and now now Wayne plays Snyder. Do you use the common opponent to try to determine a favorite in that Wayne-Dwenger game and tournament play coming up next week? Uh, but... But yeah, I think uh, I think Snyder certainly should be the favorite, and 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 really, Snyder has something pretty valuable to play for, and that's to try to take care of their own business and stay in the hunt for a share of an SAC title. Brett, looking at the trio of any eight teams that are in that uh, sectional nineteen, when you look at Leo, 
East Noble and New Haven. Is there one you feel over eight weeks that have separated themselves, particularly of late, or are you still looking at those teams as any capable of putting together a solid three weeks and winning a sectional title? I mean, there's nothing that's been decided with those three teams in my mind. Uh, I think clearly for New Haven, uh, you know, Mylon Graham's health has to be uh, concern number one. We saw him last week in a boot. If he's you know, sidelined at all, makes them a different team. He's that dynamic. Uh, you can really count on him on big third downs to get yardage on his own, uh, valuable and special teams. And, you know, and so I, I look at New Haven and I think, okay, that could be a factor. But if, but if everybody is healthy, I don't know if any of those three teams have really separated themselves to where we say, well, that would be the favorite if everybody took the field healthy and we had a round robin. And the best part about it, I guess, maybe the worst part about it, is that's exactly what we've got. The way the ping pong balls dropped in that sectional 19 in Class 4A, you've got uh, East Noble New Haven with a rematch, this time at New Haven, and then uh, likely the winner of that will go on to play Leo in the second round. And so... What we expect to be tri-champions in the NE8, they're going to end up all beating each other up in the first two weeks of tournament play, and only one of those three teams will advance as far as the sectional championship game. And uh, so I guess, you know, we'll decide at this point, head-to-head, who actually is supreme among that group. But I kind of, uh, in my mind, feel disappointed that, we don't have an opportunity to see those teams go a little bit farther in the tournament because they're all really good quality football teams. And I don't know that any one of them has done enough to really clearly separate themselves. Although I will say East Nobles played pretty impressive football over the last couple of weeks, but I still think that it's very possible. New Haven with a healthy Mylon Graham could easily flip the tables and knock off East Noble in the uh, tournament game next week. Brett Rump joining us when we look ahead to sectionals and you know as the, the weeks go on the matchups obviously get tougher for a lot of these schools between you know Adams Central for example uh, Bluffton Snyder Lures uh, you look at West Noble who's undefeated is there a team you feel like it is most on upset alert because of their sectional. Well, I think uh, you have to, you know, you mentioned West Noble, so I'll go ahead and talk about West Noble because they have to go into a sectional where Knox is going to be one of their future opponents, and, and that Knox team is loaded. They've got some outstanding individuals. They have got experience. That, that's a really good football team, and unfortunately for West Noble, uh, I think they're locked into a sectional with one of the best teams you have in the North, and so... Uh, you know, if it's an upset, I'm not really sure if you would classify it as an upset, but West Noble's been kind of the, the dominant team in the NECC, and their tournament life may be short-lived. So we'll see where, where that goes. I, I don't know, you know, because, again, where some of these games are going to be power versus power, I don't know if you've got major upsets. I don't think Adam Central has a whole lot of problems getting through their sectional uh, I think Adam Central's our most likely team to advance into uh, into state uh, championship game in Class 1A, and then in 2A, 
What's going to be intriguing is when you get a Bishop Lewis team match up against Bluffton. It might be strength versus strength there, but that won't happen until I believe the regional. So, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's any team that goes into the sectional that we would consider to be favorites that I, I'm not going to favor myself in winning a sectional. Brett, one thing we may get tonight we haven't gotten so far this season is weather and precipitation. And how important will it be tonight for some of these teams to handle the conditions, not knowing what the conditions could bring going forward in the playoffs? Because we've had pleasant weather, knock on wood, so far on Friday nights. Well, speak for yourself. We were dealing with rain, wind, clouds <laughs> last week. That's up true. In Kendallville. <laughs> Uh, but but you're right. A lot of teams are going to be experiencing some some nasty conditions for the first time, and you know that's always a big question: is how does it change a team if they have to deal with with bad weather? Uh, I'll give you a case in point: is Carroll. They've struggled all year to establish any kind of consistent running game. Now, Dewan Green has looked pretty good here over the last couple of games, and he might bring them a little more balance in that offense. But can Jimmy Sullivan, you know, complete? the intermediate or deep passes throwing into a 20, 25-mile-per-hour wind with a slippery football. I mean, you know, that, that's one of the big question marks is are teams that are especially pass-centric, are they going to have the style that can grind out wins? And that's one of the advantages you have with an Adam Central. They're such a good running team that, uh, you know, that they're kind of built for inclement weather and and muddy grass surfaces, that's just the way that team is built. But when teams, uh, you know, go into this time of year and they rely heavily on the passing game, things can be very interesting, and weather certainly can play a part in it. Brett Rump with us. Before we let you go, uh, the Big Ten adding even more Friday night football games for next season outside of, of course, TV inventory. Why do you think they're insisting on on doing this or is it just a tv play and and that's all it is i mean that's all it is i mean they've got to find a place to put their games so they don't have too many games competing with one another you know as you get a a a conference as large as the big 10 it's only natural that if you try to put all the games in one day you've got three four five games all going head to head against each other and so it kind of you know spaces it out Friday night's the only night with a window for television because of Thursday night foot, uh, football with the NFL and Sunday night football with the NFL. And so, you know, they've got to be able to, number one, cash in. Number two, take advantage of the windows that are there. And, uh, you know, even though I don't want to see Indiana schools be scheduled for those Friday night games, I understand. And I will say this real quick. I know in some states down south, I think Georgia, Alabama, Florida, I know uh, they, they often schedule varsity football for Thursday night down there because they have so many recruits that want to take trips and take visits to the colleges that they actually play their varsity football on Thursday night. Uh, and I don't know if that's anything that could be in the pipeline here. I doubt it. But uh, I'm not I'm not real thrilled with the Friday night college football schedule. Uh, Texas also does Thursday night high school football games as well. Um, so that's that makes sense. I, I understand the reasoning for it. Texas Mondays at 3 a.m. and they pack <laughs> That is that is true. Uh, you would draw a crowd for that. Well, as always, Brett. Uh, thanks for coming on. Good luck 
tonight with a call lures at homestead as we wrap up the regular season kickoff at seven o'clock pregame at six o'clock sports rush from four to six to get you set for it all today here on 1380 the fan and 100.9 fm thanks brett okay thanks guys have a great day that is brett rump with us coming up on the other side we'll be back to wrap things up here on a friday plus your final chance to win comets tickets just text preseason to 46862 and you can win a pair of tickets. See the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock at the Coliseum. Again, text preseason to 46862 and you can be a winner. We'll be back. A bear stealing bears. We'll explain what's happening there next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here for the week. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Also, your final chance to win Comets tickets on our show. Again, uh, just text preseason to 46862. Preseason to 46862, and you could be a winner. We're giving away a pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Heartlanders in action Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, puck drop at the Coliseum. Again, the code word preseason. To four six eight six two, uh, and you could win and see the comments on Sunday. Final story of the day, final story of the week. Security cameras at a British Columbia gas station recorded a bear as a shoplifter. Uh, this was at Tipton Gas Bar in Lake Cowichan on Vancouver Island. Black bear wandered into the store, took a pack of gummy bears off a rack, and left. So the bear was stealing bears. Hmm. Then ate the gummy bears in the parking lot. The manager said, that's definitely a first for me. He wasn't aggressive at all. He didn't knock anything over. He never even looked at me. It was pretty weird. It basically came in and just outright shoplifted. You know, we're just seeing bears just doing like regular human activity, but because humans obviously don't want to get in the way of that. They just let them go. Yeah, they're just getting what they want now. It's a concerted effort by the bears to see how far they can push it. Yeah. Before... The humans fight back. I mean, bears going sailing, bears raiding fridges, uh, just bears, bears raiding gas stations. Bear. I mean, it's just, it seems to me like a coordinated effort across the bear population. Yeah, bear, bear land is, se- yes. is seemingly bonded together. How can we find a way to just slowly, slowly pick apart? <laughs> yes. It's a death Humans. by a million cuts. Yeah. That's basically what we're seeing by the bears. The, the, oh, the, uh, the manager just kills me. Karen DeGosbriand, surname says, he had a sweet tooth talking about the bear. I know it's a wild animal. I just wanted to give it a hug. I just thought it was awesome. <laughs> so she had no problem with the bear coming in. I mean, I, I wouldn't either. No, I mean, it didn't cause a ruckus. Just came in and took one thing of gummy bears, didn't knock anything over, and left. If you try that, it's not going to go well. But if a bear tries it, it's cute. Oh, yeah. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. I'm telling you. I'm Someone said uh, that was a person in, in that suit. In that suit. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Like the Bigfoot sighting earlier this yeah. week, supposedly from the train. Yeah. That was a person that, in that's a suit. A, that's a person. That is definitely a person. That wraps it up for us. Thanks to Shane Alvarani. Thanks to Brett Rump for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. The Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Harfie Sports Medicine High School Football Tailgate pregame show from 6 to 7. Lures at Homestead, our high school football game of the week. Kickoff at 7. And, of course, 
the Indiana Physical Therapy post-game show live from the Coventry Pizza Hut, approximately 9.30 tonight till 11 o'clock to wrap up our high school football coverage. Have a great weekend, everybody.